Hello, I'm Mark Treichel, and you are listening to With Flying Colors, the podcast where I interview subject matter experts to provide credit union leaders with tips on how you can achieve success with NCUA and pass your exam with flying colors. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing NCUA's examination priorities that were issued recently in a letter to credit unions. NCUA does this every year in January, and it tells credit unions what direction NCUA is going for the exam program. I've got two great guests today that will be discussing this with me. First, I'd like to introduce Todd Miller, and second will be Steve Farr. Todd, if you could give everybody here a few words about your background at NCUA, just in case they never interacted with you while you were there at NCUA. Good morning, Mark, and thank you. Thanks for having me. I was with NCUA for 31 years. The last 10 years, I was a director of special actions, and the decade before that, I was a regional capital market specialist. I enjoyed my time with NCUA and going to enjoy spending some time with you here this morning. Sounds great, Todd. And Steve Farr, please also introduce yourself before we kick it off. Good morning, guys. Yeah, I like Todd. I was with NCUA over 30 years, did the uh, work through up through the ranks from examiner to problem case officer, and then worked the last 15 or so years in the central office, working on items like the reserves for the NCUSIF and writing policies including the risk-based capital, which I spent a great deal of time on and that we get to discuss later today. So yeah, look forward to this discussion. Very good. And as I tell when I have client calls, I mentioned that I know who the NCUA best and brightest are and that when they retire, I approach them and ask them if they'd like to assist me with assisting credit unions. And I've known Todd and Steve for 25 to 30 years. I work closely with them on different projects at different stages of my career. They're great resources for me, and they're great resources for credit unions as well. Mark Twain once said that history might not repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. And why do I say that? Three of the topics that are in the priorities letter have been repeated at least six years. Those are Cybersecurity, Bank Secrecy Act, and Consumer Compliance. Also, credit risk management of some sort or another has been repeated with different verbiage. So four of these 11 priorities show up every year. There's a handful of them that are showing up for the first time, and we will touch on that. So with that, what we're going to do here is walk through each priority and see if Todd and Steve have any flavor to add to the topic. And it's possible that with the length of the letter that we may break this into two podcasts so that it doesn't get too long for the listener. All right. First up is credit risk management, which is listed first in NCUA's priority. We're going to go through them in order of the letter. And, you know, if it's listed first, it's because it's the most important in NCUA's eyes. They order it in this manner for that reason. So credit risk management, either of you have any thoughts on the topic of credit risk management? We'll speak to this one, Mark. I think it's interesting. Credit risk is always probably going to be on this letter in some shape or form just because it's the biggest risk on a credit union's balance sheet, typically. Some things in the letter that kind of stand out to me is they mentioned they want appropriate practices for every loan program on the credit union's balance sheet. In prior years, they've singled out concentrations. They've singled out commercial lending. Here, it's more they want credit unions to know about every aspect of every one of their loan programs. I think it's important that credit unions have 
good tools to assess how credit risk is migrating in their portfolio, especially after the loan has been made. They mentioned some COVID-related issues in the letter, and when COVID came out, NCOA sent a lot of letters. They were focused on credit unions helping their members. At the same time, they want to know you did that with appropriate internal controls, who you've helped, how you helped them. It's been in the best interest of the member and the credit union, and that you haven't done that without appropriate internal controls. But it's important for every credit union to know what's going on with the credit risk in their portfolio, to know how their members' profiles are changing, how collateral values might be changing, so they can just assess, is their overall risk increasing or degrading? increasing over time. And I think a lot of this will just tie back to capital, which they'll talk about later. And we can mention in some other topics is it's all part of this whole thing. Do you have enough capital to offset the risks on your balance sheet? Very good, Todd. And I'm going to highlight one thing you said. It's listed first because it's a material part of your balance sheet. Loans are the biggest part of the credit union portfolio. That is the main thing. That's how you best serve your members, but it's also the most material asset. Because it's the most material asset, it creates potentially the most risk for the insurance fund. Therefore, that explains why NCUA puts this first. So second in order here is information security or cybersecurity. Any thoughts on information security, cybersecurity as it relates to this letter? This is another one that's been on every supervisory priority letter for, I don't know, at least the last five or six years. I think credits can expect to see it there for the next five or six years too. It'll probably never drop off the list just given what's going on in society and our reliance on technology. One of the things that I find interesting in the letter is they mentioned that they're piloting new exam procedures. That has budget implications for the agency Agency is really trying to create exam procedures that their everyday examiner can use to assess risk in credit unions. They're trying to avoid hiring even more information security officers, and there's a lot of them already, but they're trying to get this down to where it's not a specialty where our regular examiners can assess this risk. So they're trying to turn the vocabulary and that whole process into something that the average examiner can understand. We'll see whether they're successful with that over time. And it'll be interesting for credit unions to maybe give you some feedback on what these new exam procedures look like. They do mention the ASET maturity assessment for credit unions that haven't done that for two or three years. It's maybe a good self-test to just see where you're at on that whole maturity structure and how mature is your program, your risk management program, your security resiliency of your system. So that's always a good thing to go through yourself just to give yourself a heads up of what might be coming when you do get an information system officer or an examiner digging into your information security program. Very good. A regional information system officer, if you will, or what NCUA likes to call with their acronyms is RISO, R-I-S-O. They may be adding a few of those, which we might get to a little bit later. Also, I guess I'll highlight that in the letter, they have a link on several of these topics. While the letter, if you printed it off, might be about six pages there's several links. And in the category of cybersecurity, they do have a link to NCUA's cybersecurity resource page. And also in the show notes for this podcast, I will have a link to the actual letter on NCUA's website. 
The third topic, and a topic showing up in the priority letters for the very first time, it's here for the first time, and it's listed third. So that says that it's a priority, a high priority, and that is payment systems. Any thoughts on payment systems? I think it's interesting to see this here for the first time by some way of background over the last three, four years with NCUA. I retired in last year in 2021, but there's been this ongoing debate. Does the agency need to have payment system specialists? And it's interesting that the payment system thing shows up here for the first time. There's a lot going on with payment systems. There's so many payment platforms out there. There's Apple Pay, there's PayPal's got their systems. There's Venmo where people are using to transfer money. It's interesting. My son bought a car last year and he had to pay for it over two days via Venmo because you can only transfer 10,000 a day to one person over Venmo. I didn't even know what it was till he told me about it then. All those systems require interaction with the crediting systems. And then strategic risk-wise, people are starting to pay for and use cryptocurrencies. And that kind of bypasses the financial system entirely. So there's strategic implications with it. But within NCUA, there's always been payment expertise and specialists in the corporate program. They've always been there. And now the ones program but they haven't had this expertise in the natural person credit. And I think there's a couple things going on here. One, I think NCUA is probably trying to get its hands around how big is this payment systems world and what does their risk look like? I think that's part of having this as a priority on here as I expect they're going to be gathering a lot of data just to see this credit even have a good risk assessment over their payment systems and all the different platforms that may be interacting with their system to their knowledge or without their knowledge in some cases. So this is a new one. I think NCUA is trying to get their hands around it. There's practical risks related to it every day. And long-term, there's strategic risks involving the whole industry when it comes to payment systems. Todd, all great thoughts. You and I were on a client call, I believe, yesterday, and we were talking about crypto. We were talking about payment systems and some of the things you just said here we discussed there. And that triggered me. So this letter is one of my favorites, the supervisory priority letter that NCUA issues. One of my other favorites that I actually was deeply involved with is the staff budget, which comes out in October or November and is usually about 100 pages, which talks about new initiatives in the budget and how much they might cost. So yesterday I went to that document And it reminded me that the last time NCUA fully looked at the number of specialists they had in each category and what categories they had was in 2018. And I had assigned that to regional director Keith Morton and one's director, Scott Hunt. And we made a significant increase in the number of specialists that year. Well, NCUA has recalibrated again, and they are adding several specialists into their budget. And one of those categories, which was not a specialty before, is the Regional Electronic Payments Specialists, or REPS, R-E-P-S. And they indicate here in the budget that they could add up to 11 of these across the country. So that's nearly four in each of the three regions, again, showing that this is something that they're going to take a look at. And I think, Todd, you said something that NCUA wants to try and get their hands around what this risk might be. I think you're spot on there. That's why they have this elevated so high. All right. The next in order, number four, is BSA or Bank Secrecy Act compliance. Any thoughts relative to Bank Secrecy Act? 
This is Todd again. I'll take this one as well. This is another one where there's several links in the letter and it's probably worth clicking on the links. I actually clicked on a couple of them. Within the letter, they mentioned some rule changes, a couple different acts of Congress. Finson is writing other rules to go with those acts. They kind of boil down to a couple things. They want even more emphasis on knowing your customer with respect to especially the limited liability companies and corporations. That's a big emphasis out of it. I did click on the links. FinCEN itself issues a priorities letter, and it looks very similar to the prior two things we just talked about. FinCEN's priorities are information security and payment systems this year. It's interesting that those find their way to NCUA's letter as well. But this is one, compliance is a big deal for credit unions. This is one they probably should have their compliance officers click the links, read the attached information. Bank Secrecy Act, it's an interesting acronym. I had an old employee once tell me the whole thing is to make sure there's no secrets and how payments are flowing through the system. But I think this will always be an emphasis on there. How money flows for bad characters, be they terrorists, drug lords or whatever. The government's always going to be trying to get their hands around that and diminish it to the extent possible. So I don't think we will ever see a priority letter that doesn't have bank secrecy listed on it just because it's important to so many government agencies outside of NCUA. It's just a big deal to the law enforcement world. Steve, I have one thing to add on that. I had a few credit unions that got behind or lax in their Bank Secrecy Act requirements. And it is expensive and time consuming to fix that. And that is you know, part of your risk management because if you get it behind and get in trouble with one of the other federal agencies, you're going to have to hire expertise and it is expensive and it takes time. So the best thing to do is to avoid that. Like Steve is a director of special actions. You deal with a lot of troubled credit. And let's just say I know more than a few that have paid very large fines to FinCEN for even innocent mistakes that they've admitted to. And they still get assessed pretty significant penalties. And like Steve said, the time and dollars is going back and fixing. If you're going to do it, do it right. Makes sense in a lot of arenas. But in BSA, that should be what you're always thinking. And indeed, it can be expensive. All great points. The three of us spent a lot of time in special actions as directors and problem case officers. So we did get the opportunity to see some of the most challenging cases that NCUA has seen on different topics, which is one of the things that makes chatting with you guys about this really enjoyable. So next up, the next topic is a topic that we've already recorded a separate podcast on, Steve and I have, which reminds me to say that many of these topics, we will do drill down separate podcasts on. So we just want to do the highlights here relative to this letter to credit unions. But the next topic is capital adequacy and risk-based capital rule implementation. Steve, I know you have some thoughts on this since we chatted about it for about 45 minutes the other day. Yeah. As you can see, I'm always happy to talk about capital. The thing that protects the insurance fund and protects the credit unions from failure. So let's first, let's talk about the risk-based capital rule implementation. This is another topic near and dear to my heart. I started working on the changes to the risk-based capital rule in 2014. That rule was approved in 2015, and it just finally, with a few other adjustments, went into effect on January 1st. So what a long incubation period. 
So hopefully credit unions are ready for it and understand it. I should say they should not have a lot of fear of it because it really only applies to less than 700 of the credit unions that are over 500 million in assets that have to take a look at it. And they have the two options. The credit unions can choose the complex credit union leverage ratio, which basically is the net worth ratio. They have to have a higher level of that at 9% to where they don't have to compute the risk-based capital requirement or schedule I on the new call report. So having that option, but I do think the risk-based capital measure has a great value to them. The risk weights that were assigned to the assets are meaningful and were not just drawn out of a hat. They closely correlate to the risk that you would see in a normal portfolio of that type of loans. The other thing NCOA was able to put in there is a higher capital requirement if you get a concentration of assets, say, in commercial loans. So I think that was a unique prospect of it. So if your credit union is going to do that and you choose the complex credit union leverage ratio, I would say don't be afraid. And you probably do want to be aware of what your risk-based capital measure is because it's just one more indicator of your capital adequacy. So let's talk about capital adequacy. Every credit union needs to evaluate that because the regulatory capital requirements, the net worth ratio and these new ones, they establish minimums. And so credit unions usually have a capital goal that they're shooting for. They should know why they've established a certain capital measure that they think is adequate with them and be able to engage their examiner in a meaningful discussion as to how they identified that ratio and how they measure it and their needs based on changes in their balance sheet or changes in their operating environment that are occurring. And certainly if you're interested in merger and acquisition activity, that would play a role in there. You'd probably want to at least increase your capital ratio in anticipation of opportunities that come down the line. And much more of that is covered in our podcast on that. The NCAA could see why they were concerned about the capital ratio is it has declined because of the share growth that's occurred the last couple of years. Share growth of over 20% in 2020 and 13% this year has resulted in the combined net worth ratio for the industry going from 11.30% at the end of 2018 to 10.23%. So net worth has declined on the whole. So that's why, of course, NCO would always be looking at this, but individual institutions, it's your job to know and decide how much capital you think you need to hold. Great comment, Steve. And while they always look at it, obviously capital's the C and camel, the camel rating. This is actually the first time they've actually put it in the priority letters, which was driven by the new rule that they want to educate credit unions and everything. But when you combine that with the statistics that you just cited, with a 200 basis point drop essentially over a three-year period for reasons that credit unions perhaps couldn't control, but it is what it is. The capital has dropped. So it's going to have more attention during the exam. They may be a little bit nicer about it because of it coming in during the pandemic and that it might not be in a risk asset because you're putting it in investments, but it's something that will certainly get some attentions. And we know that because it's here in the priority letter. Topic number six on our letter is loan loss reserving. Any thoughts on loan loss reservings, which, by the way, was discussed in previous letters referencing the allowance and then also a reference to the current expected credit losses or CECL. 
So the allowance is always something that's there. They've de-emphasized CECL this year and just focused on loan loss reserving. Thoughts on loan loss reserving as it relates to the priorities. I think it's interesting that they throw the words out loan loss reserving instead of CECL when CECL is going to go into effect on January 1 next year. It's been delayed a couple times. I'm going to be honest with you. This is just my personal opinion, Mark. CECL was on this priority list way back in 2019. NCUA has punted the ball on this. And we've spent the ensuing years providing virtually almost no training to examiners. There's been very little guidance to the credit union industry regarding it. I think NCUA has spent political resources with FASB to get it delayed as long as they could. But here we are. CECL is coming into effect for most credit unions in January 1 of next year. I would just say if you're a credit union, you need to be talking to your CPAs. Hopefully you've been talking to your CPAs for a couple of years. It's going to be pretty challenging. The models you need to calculate your allowance under CECL are going to be a little bit more complex than what you've used in the past. A small number of banks have implemented CECL already. Most of those are the publicly traded larger banks. But I think in general, for many credit unions, they're going to see their allowance go up a little bit. There might be a rare one that'll see their allowance go up a lot. But allowance numbers are probably going to get higher, which kind of ties back to this whole capital thing, too. There's going to be impacts to capital on it. So I would just say for the credit unions, spend some time with your CPAs, make sure you get your policies and procedures ready for CECL. Your examiners will be having lots of discussions about that. Their level of knowledge might be not as great as you would expect at this point in time. They'll be playing catch up this year. Excellent. And I mentioned that the letter has many links to it in different topics and on the loan loss reserving topic. It certainly on its face looks like it has the most number of links. There's a link to the interagency statement on loan modifications. There's four links to FASB's website. And then there's two links to NCUA letter to credit unions on frequently asked questions relative to credit losses. So definitely understand why it's on the priorities. And Todd, you said it well, that this is going to be something that you should already be ahead of the curve on. NCUA, I'm expecting, will be putting just-in-time training in place before 2023 rolls around. And again, this is something that they're looking at quite closely, especially with the unknown of what happens whenever this pandemic ends and what that does to the state of the economy and the state of loan portfolios. All right, so we will do one more topic before we break with episode one of two on the exam priorities. And that would be number seven on the list, which is consumer financial protection. Thoughts on consumer financial protection. Consumer financial protection is always on this list every single year. I'll give you all the little background on how NCUA views this. Many of the credit unions have probably figured it out and think they know. And I'll just confirm that you actually do know what's going on. Each year, NCUA's examination and insurance, they pick a number of regs, consumer protection regs. There's a plethora of them out there, but they will pick three or four each year to emphasize. And it's not that they ignore the other ones. They don't. If they see something, they'll say something to you. 
but for the most part, they don't dig deeply into every single consumer protection reg every year. They pick a small number of them each year. It's intended to be about the same amount of exam time as a prior year. You can argue whether that's true or not. I think some things go up and down, but they do these on a rotational basis. And the nice thing about them when they issue a supervisory letter like this is the agency is very transparent. They're telling the industry, these are the specific consumer regs we're going to look at this year. So your own compliance people ahead of that can maybe dig into those and make sure your policies, procedures are all up to date with respect to these specific consumer regs. Hopefully we have credit unions have systems to keep current with all of them. But at least in this case, the agency is very transparent. Here's the ones we're going to look at this year. And the list will be different next year. Good summary, Todd. And I will add to that, that when E&I Office of Examination of Insurance comes out with the proposed list, which then gets signed by the board chairman, that the Office of Consumer Financial Protection and the Office of Examination of Insurance together come up with that list based on things that they may have found in their fair lending exams from the previous year. So I add that thought. And then also I will add that the Service Members Civil Relief Act, which is on the list this year, that's one that when I was at NCUA at times was raised actually by Congress because members complained saying, hey, I wasn't treated fairly relative to this. And so there were a handful of Congress members who would reach out to make sure that NCUA put that on their list or at least ask them to consider it. Obviously, the purpose of that act is superb. And so I like the fact that it's on there, but so do other people and they raise it and it, NCUA has its attention on it quite frequently. All right. So before I wrap up, anything else either of you would like to add in summary of what we've chatted about so far? I will just throw out one thing just related to some of the things we talked about. You have this focus on credit risk and capital adequacy and loan loss reserving. When you read between the lines, these are all pointing to an expectation that credit unions are assessing their capital position relative to the risks on their balance sheet. And we can talk a little bit more about that when we get to the second part of this podcast. But I think informally, NCUA is raising expectations for credit unions on assessing their own capital position and is that adequate for the risks on their balance sheet. Great points. Just kind of my takeaway. No, that's a good place to wrap. If you think of any questions, please reach out and send me your thoughts and your questions and we can address them potentially with another podcast. If you'd also like to talk about how I and Steve and Todd and some of my other experts could assist you so that you achieve the best possible exam results, you can reach me at cuexamsolutions at marktrichel.com or via my website at www.marktrichel.com. All right, part two will be coming out soon and that's it for today. I'm Mark Trichel and I hope you join me again next time for With Flying Colors.